0: This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 294. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the concealedcarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman. Joined today by Math- Matthew Marister. I almost said M- Mar- I don't know what I was trying to say. Matthew Marister, what's up, dude? Yeah. That's cool. I'm the only one that closely resembles that name, so what's up, man? <laughs> Not too much, man. Uh, just pleased to be on the show with you today. Uh, folks, uh, this is, like I said, episode 294, and we had a special interview today with Adam Kraut, attorney, uh, and uh, also running for the board of directors of the NRA. So should be a really interesting uh, discussion. We'll kind of continue the string of, uh, of, of this NRA-focused content for the last... Uh, few weeks uh we had maj ture on saying he's not renewing his membership with the nra then we had Dwayne liptak who's on the board and he had some pretty strong things to say about the work of the nra and and his work on the board of directors and and what he thinks that means and what it looks like for the future then we have uh adam kraut coming on today who's running for the board of directors and i'm sure he's got some strong things to say about the nra and, and, and his vision for what he thinks uh Uh, The NRA, you know, where where we need to go as an organization, as a country, and, of course, uh, in the fight for the Second Amendment. Um, Today's episode brought to you by belts. Yeah, belts. Uh, We have concealed carry belts, gun belts, available for sale on concealedcarry.com. Go check them out. Uh, This week only ends on Sunday night, actually. 15% off discount uh, off any belt available for sale on concealedcarry.com. All those belts... And there's quite a few of them to choose from. So go check them out. Concealcarry.com forward slash belts. And coupon code is belt15, B-E-L-T-1-5. So use the coupon code, save 15%, and uh, pick up a, a nice belt. All right? Because we all need need good gun belt. Right,
1: Matthew? Absolutely, man. Right, Gotta Adam? your holster is something.
0: What kind of belt does Adam like? Let's, here, here's the first question, Adam. So I'm gonna we're gonna start introducing Adam right now. So folks, uh also I should say uh special uh honorary sponsor would be I don't know, the gun collective? Sure, why not? Is that cool?
2: I don't know why you're asking me. I just I just, just produce some content, not my gig. I know. <laughs> uh
0: Adam, you did the legal brief on the Gun Collective uh Really cool YouTube channel, uh, pretty good following you guys have there. So, uh, Adam, be- because I, I I asked the question, tell me uh, what what do you like in a belt? I know weird question, right?
2: Yeah, definitely a different question. Probably <laughs> the first time I fielded a question like that. Uh, <laughs> I like my belt to be sturdy there in you order go. to you know hold up my pants as well as you know uh, if you have a gun to keep that kind of where you need it to uh so you're asking what kind of belt i like and uh the belt i've been using for the last um, probably four or five years maybe maybe longer at least at least four possibly five uh is a company that uh shut its doors at the beginning of this year but it's a boxer tactical belt um big fan of it yeah it's held up very very well american made Uh, one of my favorite things about it was the honestly american campaign that they did where they told you where each component Uh, or you know, piece of material came from and it was overwhelmingly American. I think packing tape was from Canada and there was like one or two other things that uh, the Cobra buckle was from, I think, Switzerland because they're produced there. Um, But otherwise it was over, you know, like 98% American made products and then made here in America. So
0: nice. Yeah, I I, I remember those belts. uh, Good belts. I never had one, but I've definitely seen them around. I didn't realize they went out of business.
2: Uh, Yeah, he, uh, Billy closed his doors at the beginning of this year uh but he is pursuing a different venture i believe if off the top of my head i think it's great lakes leather great lakes leather something like that uh but it's gonna be all stuff made in michigan with uh, a lot of throwback um things to like world war ii surplus materials and along with leather work so neat stuff coming out of there for sure
0: that's cool man awesome well there you have it uh first time ever adam divulges from the bottom of his heart the most uh, intimate desires and qualities that he uh, looks for in belts so <laughs> um yeah anyway we, we just we just did a little segment the other day uh just talking about the the importance of a good quality belt and uh, you kind of touched on that as well you want a good sturdy belt so don't want those guns flopping around all right so uh, actually hey we've already got some some comments here uh but i'll I should uh, let Adam introduce himself, but we've got uh, Robert here who says he voted for you in the past and will do it again until you're elected. So Adam, you are running for the board of directors of the NRA, uh, but you also, I mean, that's just like a thing that you're doing, right? So you're obviously uh, much more than that. Who—who uh, Who is Adam Kraut? Tell us, people want to know. That's a very philosophical question. Jeez. <laughs> uh,
2: I mean, you, you kind of got to it earlier. I'm surprised there hasn't already been, you know, pitchforks and torches out in the comment section as far as he's a, he's a lawyer, burn him. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, I, I do practice law. Uh, that's my, my main job, if you will. Um, I do firearms related stuff, uh, represent individuals both at the state and federal level as well as the uh, industry members uh, dealing with ATF, ATF compliance, things like that. Uh, so that's my main gig. Uh, we were um, we were actually the, myself and the uh, other attorney I work with, we represent uh, Firearms Policy Foundation now, uh, along with a couple of individual plaintiffs, and we were the first to file suit against the government after that final rule in the bump stocks was announced. Uh, so we were first for that. Uh, We had a hearing on the preliminary injunction last week. We're expecting a decision this coming week. So there's exciting stuff there. Uh, We recently got a decision out of uh, federal court here in Pennsylvania um, in relation to an individual who was prohibited a second amendment as by challenge. That was a favorable decision. Uh, We have another one that's up in the third circuit on appeal right now that we won at the district court that the government appealed. So uh, we do that kind of stuff Uh, you know, at, on the federal level. And then at the individual state level, people who get denied license to carry is denied firearms, erroneously uh, advising people, whether they're prohibited gun trust, stuff like that. And then all the industry related stuff as well. Yeah. Uh, so that's, I guess my day job, if you will. And then I, I moonlight. I occasionally write articles for recoil magazine, both on the web and in print. Uh, and I do the legal brief on the gun collective. Right. Um,
0: so you're an attorney. And then I have, I have, yeah, and then but,
2: I have various, you know, other hobbies and things that, like, you know, beyond that. But I don't know how, <laughs> where you want to go with this. So
0: I was going to say you're an attorney, but you're the kind that that we gun folks should like and appreciate because you're fighting the fight. So no pitchforks, right? I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah, I, I, mean, I guess
2: it's a matter of <laughs> a matter of opinion. There's people that still hate me because I'm a lawyer, but okay,
0: cool. <laughs> not everybody's going to like me, and that's fine. <laughs> um, so. Speaking of bump stocks, uh, let, let's let's just go down that road a little bit. Uh, w- obviously, this has been quite a quite an interesting thing, right? You know, so, so we ha- you know, it all started. You know, half the country, most, more than half the country, didn't even know what a bump stock was until the Mandalay Bay shooting, right? Now all of a sudden, oh my gosh, there's this device that makes a fully semi-automatic automatic, right? And so all of a sudden. Uh, you know, you got President Trump. You got you know members of Congress, all jumping on that bandwagon. So you know, it it fortunately didn't go the legislative route, but went uh, to the ATF, and and they've they've ruled right. So, so tell us a little. I mean, can you tell us much about the the uh, the the case you're pursuing there in court? Yeah, like what what the basis of that? <laughs> yeah. So like sure, I, I've read it, but you know, we have viewers and listeners that you know. They, they probably have heard, oh, there's some lawsuit going on or whatever, but uh, tell us, uh, what is the basis of the lawsuit? Yeah, as, so as
2: everybody probably knows, the Trump administration, or President Trump rather, said that he was going to ban bump stocks. Uh, and he directed ATF and DOJ to create a rule that changed the definition of what a machine gun is in the federal regulations, not, not the National Firearms Act and not the Gun Control Act, because right. that would require Congress to do it. So they uh, had two comment periods. They had an advanced notice of proposed rulemaking, then they had a notice of proposed rulemaking, and uh, individuals and organizations submitted comments either for or against this proposed rule. Uh, We drafted one on behalf of Firearms Policy Coalition and Firearms Policy Foundation in opposition to the rule. Uh, Then they announced that they were pursuing the final rule a little bit ahead of time, and then they actually published the final rule where they uh, did, in fact, alter the definition of a machine gun in the regulations. Uh, So we filed suit that same day about Uh, I think it was about four hours after they uh, announced that they were doing it. They hadn't yet published it in the Federal Register, but uh, Matthew Whitaker, the acting attorney general, uh, signed the rule. So we filed suit in federal court. And we have a number of different uh, things that we're alleging uh, in the complaint. The main ones, uh, without getting too far into the weeds, are going to be just the plain statutory language that they have exceeded their authority in interpreting what Congress had clearly defined in the definition of machine gun in federal law. Uh, we have issues related to the Administrative Procedures Act as far as the uh, length of the comment period um, and other violations of the APA as well. Um, and those are the the big ones. Those are what our preliminary injunction was on. Uh, there's other counts in the complaint that we didn't use for the preliminary injunction. Um, so that's kind of like the, the general basis for
0: Yeah. Fascinating stuff. You know, what I found uh, kind of frustrating about the whole bump stock ban uh, that, you know, as is proposed, <clears throat> that my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, is there'd be some, you know, assuming that w- were to go forward, uh, <clears throat> they would give us a certain period of time to either surrender uh, or destroy somehow, you know, like cut in half or whatever, or bump stocks. Right. And there's no there's no this is not a buyback program. Right. It's like, sorry, tough beans, like you out of luck. Is that right?
2: Yeah. So the government's contention in this was that bomb stocks were never legal, uh, that they erroneously approved them in that because they were never legal they were always machine guns they were contraband so there's no uh, ability to i'm sorry my dog is in the back
0: <laughs> that's <on my> right <laughs> <toy>. <laughs> uh, there's
2: there's no ability to uh, have an amnesty period because it was after 1986 um so they differentiated it on those grounds and, and you're absolutely right they essentially gave people two options you can either surrender it at your local atf field office prior to the Uh, final regulations effective date or you can destroy it and they have instructions on their website as to the proper manner to do that. Now, having said all that, if a preliminary injunction is granted in our case, there's a couple other cases out there. So if somebody gets a preliminary injunction, what that would mean is is that the government would be enjoined, most likely depending upon what the order is, uh, from implementing this final rule and it would extend that period of time out.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Uh, while, while we're on the topic of bump stocks, I just want because we talked to um, uh, a couple different. We had a couple different guests with different points of view on exactly what's going on. And like uh, Riley said, we had Dwayne Liptek, and he, his his you know kind of where he was coming from was that if um, if it wasn't regulated through the DOJ, that on the floor they had legislation on the floor that likely would have passed that would have been much worse. Is that Kind of, I mean, is that where you see it, or do you see it some, a different way? Or I, I don't know, I don't have that information as to what the uh,
2: you know, the Congress had either drafted, how many votes they had potentially for that kind of stuff. Uh, so, I'm not going to say Dwayne's wrong because I've heard him in, in private conversations uh, with myself, for instance, since he's said that publicly, um, you know, he's he's told me that in the past. Um, I don't believe he would, you know, tell me something that's not right, necessarily right. true. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't have that information. Uh, the reality of it is, is that, um, I'm not sure how much NRA statement at the end of the day came into play or didn't come into play. I mean, I think that's kind of where you're really going with the the question there. And, you know, if for instance, that were the case an NRA statement did direct, you know, kind of remove that from Congress. Well, that, in some ways, is is good, but on the flip side of the coin, there's a really big problem now, and the really big problem is that now you have an executive agency engaging in lawmaking, which is not its constitutional, um, you know, job. Right. Right. And that's, that's a huge problem that I have with uh, the way they went about it. Congress's job is to make law, not the executive agency. And that's exactly what the executive agency has done
0: here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Really overstepped their bounds. There's a comment here from Alan. He says, repeal the ban. Any ban is an infringement on our rights. Uh, but this is not something that you can... Re- appeal like i mean i guess you could have congress pass a law that would force the atf to change the definition but uh, or clarify things in in the uh, of course we'd rather just see the nfa be totally you know turned around anyway but uh uh explain like why we have to fight this through the courts it, you know like that's the best strategy at this point well it's the only strategy at this yeah. point because again this is
2: this is not an act of Congress, so I guess right. there's there's a couple things that could happen here. One, Congress could, and and I can tell you right now, I use could in the hypothetical because it with the makeup of Congress and you know the right. political climate, it will never happen. But Congress could, in theory, uh, pass a new you know write a new piece of legislation that redefines the term machine gun and specifically excludes bump stocks, and that would you know kill this. Um, Congress could do something like that. Uh, However, because it's an administrative agency, short of the administrative agency uh, rescinding its rule, which I don't see them doing, especially when you have President Trump saying himself that, you know, we're banning bump stocks, stocks, I'm banning bump stocks, bump stocks are banned, don't worry about them. Um, There's no way he's going to direct the uh, ATF to alter that definition. And nobody there is going to do it on their own accord either for that matter. Uh, So we're left with, you know, the courts and we're fortunate in the sense of we have a system of government that was designed the way it was, where there's checks and balances on each branch. Um, So that's, you know, the route we've chosen to pursue.
0: Yeah. Yep. Uh, I appreciate you. You know, that's why I wanted to have you clarify that. Uh, Like I said, yeah, you you could have Congress do something here, but it's not going to happen. So like you said, this is is the only uh, way to fight this at this point. What are some other things that legislatively speaking relating to the second amendment, uh, you know, it's kind of on your radar things, you know, are there other things you're looking at or just on a personal level that you look at and go, yeah, I wish we could do something about that. Or, or maybe we, we could do something about,
2: Oh, there's all kinds of stuff at this point. So there's, there's obviously two different fields we're looking at here. We're looking at federal law and then we're looking at state law. Um, the Democrats now control the House at the federal level. The Republicans still control the Senate, and you have a uh, "quote unquote" Republican as president. <laughs> likely, what that means is is that it'll be difficult for anti gun legislation, generally speaking, to pass both chambers and then be signed by the president. I don't think you're going to see an assault weapons ban make its way through the Senate, uh, through the House. More likely uh magazine restrictions through the house more likely senate questionable president signing some of that eh, probably not a high likelihood that having said that i think you need to be very wary of things that are like red flag laws stuff that um is while it's controversial to someone like myself or i'm sure a lot of your listeners who you know especially with the due process issue being a, a huge part of that um it, especially if you look at states, you see that there's, I think up to fourteen states now that have passed that within the last year. Right. Uh, so things like that, at least on the federal level, I think there's probably more bipartisan at least discussion about it versus the real, you know um, way out there things to to ban this, ban that. Having said that, uh, um you know we also look at last Congress, the the hundred and fifteenth Congress. Uh, I believe it was the 115th Congress, uh, which ended at the end of uh, December and uh, new Congress was
1: um,
2: seated this year in January. And we had things in there like the Hearing Protection Act, which was, you know, never went anywhere. You had national reciprocity, which went and died in the Senate. Um, So you had uh, some pro-gun bills that were out there for the last two years that never got any traction uh, short of passing through the House and then, you know, hanging out in the Senate to die. Um, so at the the federal level, I'm not sure how much action you're going to see as far as stuff. Um, having said that you should still be vigilant. You should still contact your representatives and senators and make your voices heard. The state level is where you're going to start to see this battle really shape up. And we're seeing that if you look at what's happened over the last couple of years, uh, especially last year, in Washington, Washington passed, you know, uh, the what was the initiative uh, 639 1639 I think yep um they're at they're out for round 2 again this year Oregon's got Senate Bill 501 sitting out there that wants to among other things reduce magazine capacity to 5 rounds uh you know California keeps going back for more even though it's one of the worst places in the uh, country to live as far as guns are concerned uh, New Jersey is another one that just isn't happy and keeps going you even see it down in Florida uh, a predominantly in theory, you know, Republican um, state is now passing things and they have more that are lined up. They have a universal background check bill that's up. Um, and that also was at the federal level uh, this past week. They had hearings on it down in DC. Uh, and I was actually, while I was there for the hearing, there were a lot of uh, moms demand action crew in the hotel. I was staying at that were in Washington for those hearings. So, um, you know, I, I think state levels really we're going to see this fight shape up yep. and kind of segues into when you talk about uh, gun rights groups and membership organizations and things like that. You know, everybody likes to talk about NRA, GOA, and then some other ones. You know, I'm, I work very closely with Firearms Policy Coalition. Second Amendment Foundation is another one that is, isn't a lobbying organization, but litigates a lot of things. Uh, but a lot of people forget about their state level gun rights groups. And that's also where money is well spent. Um, just make sure you research them because there are some out there that are more than one in, in the same state and some of them turn out to be, you know, just kind of money making machines and not actually doing stuff. Mm. Um, so I would just encourage your listeners to, in addition to looking at national level stuff, also make sure you're looking out in your own backyard there.
0: Absolutely. In fact, arguably, it's more important that uh, we are very active and paying close attention to what's going on in our each of our respective states and localities because... Uh you know, I wrote an article about this uh, just after the election in November about uh, kind of the results of that. And uh yeah, I think a lot of the country was kind of breathing a sigh of relief, like, Oh, thank goodness. You know, it, it wasn't worse than, than it could, you know, as bad as it could have been as far as seeing a, a shift of power in both the house and the Senate that would have likely, you know, resulted in a, a lot, you know, a bigger issue for uh gun gun rights are concerned. And, um, but the thing I was really paying attention to was, you know, what happened on the state levels, uh, as far as uh, you know, trifecta go- governments, you know, states that were, you know, in control with uh, a governor and uh, house and senate that were, you know, favorable. You know, obviously, let's just say Republican, right? Generally, generally speaking, not always the case. <laughs> there are definitely rhinos out there for sure, but uh, um, you know, generally speaking, you know, Republican-controlled governments are going to be safer for us, uh, Second Amendment speaking. Um, but uh, you know, we saw states like uh, Nevada and Colorado, New Mexico, Illinois, New York, Maine, and uh, yeah, that, that's that's that. I think that's the list. Those ones all became basically fully controlled by uh, you know Democratic uh, Party candidates. And, uh, and then there's also a number of Republican trifectas that that we sort of lost you know so that there's it's no longer as easy to maybe get some of the pro-gun things passed through through those states so so yes the house was a bit of an issue at the, at the federal level um, but just looking nationwide at different states and what the makeup of state governments are uh, we lost a little bit of ground this last election
2: yeah I, and I would agree with you and like i said you know federal federal obviously is one level that we're talking about but state is also another and while on the whole the federal has been a relatively level playing field for the last you know i don't know probably at this point 10 years or so um you know the states has really been where things have been getting chipped away and unfortunately the anti-gun crowd is figuring that out and kind of recognize that you know they'll still push at the federal level but they they realize that it's the money in the states that's being better spent currently, uh, yeah. and I, I don't foresee them you know giving up on that at, at all anytime soon.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, naturally, uh, the more states you see uh, you know the more states that we lose the battle in on the Second Amendment, the easier it even gets you know from there on to make things happen on a federal uh, level as well. Just because, uh, you know, the public you – know, you can really sway, you know, the perception the public has on certain issues uh, as you get more and more states uh, passing certain laws. Red flag laws. Uh, what's, what's your thought on red flag laws as an attorney? Like just looking at it and, and the kind of laws that have been crafted and you know, do you see – what kind of problems do you see? Um, is there – like one thing that some people want to know is: is there a way to craft a red flag law that that can protect due process adequately, uh, be constitutional in that regard, um, but yet still maybe you know have some sort of recourse to stop certain people?
2: Well, the the big issue with the, the red flag laws, as you kind of alluded to, was the is the due process issue, especially when you're depriving somebody of a constitutional right and then you're not giving them a hearing for. Some cases up to fourteen days. Sometimes I think I've seen one or two. At least the language was maybe a little bit longer, but they all generally seem to be about two weeks. And the problem with that is, is that we're supposed to be a society where you're given due process. You have a right to face your accuser. You have a right to present evidence. Have someone defend you prior to you know your rights being deprived. Um, I don't know if there's a manner in which, short of <laughs> they come to you, they put you in front of a judge. And they do it all right there. But even then, I'm not sure you get the ability to prepare a defense, you know, have adequate representation, especially if it's all, you know, lickety split. Uh, So I'm not sure that there is a manner in which you can do it like that. Having said all that, if the concern is that people are going off the rails and potentially going to do something harmful, in almost every instance that's at least been on national news, there's been warning signs that have been way past, you know, this immediate, like, we need to do it right this second. It's something that could have been looked into over an extended period of time. So I, you know, I I don't know if I have a good answer on that one as far as what the appropriate response is, but clearly there's an issue with the due process uh, application in my mind, uh, based on my position. um, Unfortunately, courts have said the opposite, that Uh, Well, you don't need due process right away. It's as long as it's within a reasonable period of time. Right. And okay, well, now what becomes a reasonable period of time? And what, you know, whose standard is it by that this reasonable is? Mine would be, you know, it happens now
0: or (laughs) like right away, not two weeks from now. Yeah. Or how about you don't take my stuff away before we have a hearing, right? Um, Especially period. when
1: it's a constitutional right. I mean that yeah. that 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 brings it to a whole higher level where the courts really should not interfere in that unless it's so overwhelmingly in this on the side of like you know public health or public you know uh, helping the public. I mean, it, 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 we're not talking about just uh, maybe you get a ticket and you have to appear in court. We're talking about removing somebody's constitutional right for a period of time with no recourse and, and that's with you know and, and this it's such a big thing and as I'm, I'm scrolling through the, the the uh comments here on Facebook I mean universally most of the the people are talking about and we have listeners all across the country right now logging in and and across the country they're talking about like local laws that are that they're upset with you know that they're under attack our second is under attack almost you know universally, so um what you guys are talking about is totally playing out and, and I think so so often we we miss the state level because we're we're focused on the federal all the the games and everything that's on the news and everything but if you don't i mean if you believe in states' rights, you need to be engaged at the state level, even if you don't believe in states rights, right right, still right right happening right. but but if you're a proponent for that, you should be involved um more more than a lot of people get involved with oh absolutely and i think you know i I was on
2: another podcast recently and i was discussing this exact point when we're talking about constitutional rights as far as people's perception of constitutional rights and, and what they um what they are and where they stem from there's a huge disconnect uh between all that you know everybody doesn't seem to know that constitutional rights especially the bill of rights wasn't uh it, it wasn't written by the Founding Fathers as the government is granting you this right. It was This is a pre-existing right, and we are preventing the government from infringing on
0: that right.
2: Um, there's a really good book, and I, I talked about this on that other podcast too. Uh, it's sitting over my shelf. It's To Keep and Bear Arms. It's written by uh, a lady with the last name Malcolm. If you can find a copy of it, it's expensive, but I suggest you buy it. And what it does is it actually goes through in uh, european uh, i think it starts around the 12th or 13th century um, to generally english law and it traces the lineage of this idea of the ability to keep and bear arms and how it is in fact an individual right and what had been done to kind of preserve it and kind of uh, put it down and and hamper it uh, to give readers and, and people an idea as to when the founding fathers wrote this amendment what their understanding of the way the natural world was. And that book actually was a, a big part of the Heller decision. It was a big influence on the decision itself. So uh, if you can find a copy, it's, it's worth reading, uh, especially if you like history and things like that.
0: looks like it's available on Amazon for thirty one fifty. Maybe it's back in mm-hmm. Praley.
2: Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. When I keep- last looked, I found mine on textbooks.com and I, I huh. paid like almost nothing for it. But the other copies I saw were like $130 bucks or so. <laughs>
0: So to keep and bear arms, Joyce Lee, Malcolm. Yeah. That's so the one. maybe it went out of print and it's back in print or something. I don't know. But uh, hey, I'll drop the link in the show notes, folks. Uh, go check that out. I was
1: actually trying to get her on the podcast not too long ago. And she agreed initially and then said like she couldn't really make it. And there were some other things that precluded her from coming on a podcast and talking about that because she, she was very instrumental in the Heller. Mm. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I've certainly I've I've come across her name before. Speaking of, uh, you know, like Heller and, you know, Heller was a was a big time case. Uh, It's been 10 years since the Supreme Court agreed to take a major gun case. Uh, So thoughts on this new this case out of New York.
2: I think it'll be an interesting one to see what they decide. I mean, as, as everybody probably knows, and if you don't. Heller essentially said that you have a right to possess a handgun in your home for defense of yourself and home and hearth. Uh, There is language in Heller that I've pointed to, other attorneys have pointed to, that suggests that that right, um, you know, extends outside the home, especially when you're talking about keeping a firearm concealed in one's pocket. Uh, But the Supreme Court has never outright explicitly said, yes, this right extends beyond your, you know, your abode. Um, I think that's the next logical step for the Supreme Court to take. Uh, I think they would have a hard time denying that that is in fact what the amendment uh, allows for, especially in, you know, you look at it in the historical context in which it was adopted where people did exactly that. They carried firearms for defense of themselves outside of their home as well. Um, And I think, this one will be an interesting one to see how they kind of shake it all out. I mean, there certainly is an issue here with uh, the restriction of New York as far as them saying that, yeah, you can only transport that from your home to the range and back. You can't even remove it from the county to go to another home that you own, which is you know clearly in violation of the Second Amendment because you have a right to bear arms for defense of yourself in, in your home. Um, yeah. I think that's going to be a big one. The other ones that I think the Supreme Court eventually is going to have to grapple with sooner rather than later is going to be dealing with uh, what people refer to as assault weapons, modern sporting rifles, you know, stuff like that. Um, I think that that's going to have to be those in in magazines are going to be the next thing that the court is going to have to grapple with here. Um, There's decisions from courts saying that. Nope, Second Amendment doesn't protect those. You have decisions from courts saying that magazines are, in fact, arms for the purposes of the Second Amendment. Um, and there's going to, you know, you're starting to get a, a split amongst the circuits uh, a little bit. Uh, a lot right. have kind of ruled against that. So we'll see um, if and when the Supreme Court opts to take that up and hopefully, you know, kind of get all this in line
0: saying that, yeah, you know, that also is protected by the Second Amendment. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Thanks for uh, your input and perspective on some of these things. Uh, it be really interesting to follow uh, some of these cases and, and of course, the, the one that you guys are uh, leading the charge on as well uh, with the bump stocks and just kind of you know see where that all leads. Uh, and I seriously and sincerely wish you the best of luck with that. Um, so let's go – I'm going to just go to a couple of comments here from viewers. Uh, let's see. So one thing I'm noticing here, Adam, is uh, – there's quite a few folks that are not very happy with the NRA for various reasons. So I'm not, sorry, folks, I'm not going to go over all of your comments because there's quite a few of them. Uh, So you're running for the board of directors, the NRA. Why? Like what's, what's the motivation for you there? (laughs) (laughs) Good question. Uh, At this point, I'm
2: not really sure. (laughs) Um, This is the third go around on it. Every year I run by petition of the members, which means I've had to go out, and get voting members to sign a petition to put me on the ballot. So that means I, I must have said something or, you know, done something that has shown people that, you know, uh, I'm, I'm of a mindset that they can agree with. Um, the reality is, is that the first time I ran, it was based on a conversation with a current director. Um, he pulled me aside at the Great American Outdoor Show in Harrisburg and said, hey, you know, I've been following the work you're doing. I really like what you're up to. Um, I think you might make a good addition to the board. You bring a different line of thinking, you're younger, um, and you know you have a different perspective on things. So that resulted in a number of conversations over a couple months where ultimately after some conversations with that person, um, close friends, things like that, I decided, okay, you know what, I'll give it a whirl here. So I tried and I lost. And then I lost again. <laughs> then I lost another time. Then I lost one more time. Uh, and here we are, th- third go round, and I'm not really sure what uh, to expect with all this. Um, so, sorry, my yeah. dog has gotten into <laughs> something that he shouldn't be chewing on. Oh, geez, dude, um, the puppies. Anyway, so <laughs> uh, <laughs> that that's kind of how I ended up running the the first go round. I, I wasn't really sure what to expect, and then you know, kind of the second time was well uh, obviously I can't just, you know, give it one and done. Um, there's, I can point to any number of reasons I didn't win that I think are perfectly rational explanations and including the fact that, you know, just because people saw me all over social media, doesn't mean that the person who's actually voting and gets the magazine had any idea who I was. Right. Um, there was an increase in votes from, uh, first year to second year, and we'll see what this year pans out like. But the reality is, is that, um, I too, as an NRA member, uh, was not happy with everything the organization was doing. It does some things very well uh, and it also screws some stuff up. And I think any rational human being that wants to have an honest conversation can admit that and can say, look, they do some things that are very good for the community, shooting sports, you know, getting people involved. And then they take some positions and do some things that probably not so great or, are just, you know, downright wrong. And um, that was kind of my motivation was that rather than, sitting aside I can maybe be part of the solution to this perceived you know problem or problems if you will uh so that's that's kind of why I did it um you know I put I put skin in the game I guess
0: that's very honorable of you man I mean so we were just talking about that last week with Dwayne a little bit and I liken it to people that complain about the, the state of you know our political affairs in this country, and complain and, and complain and complain and complain, but they don't actually cast a vote, right? And so it's like you know it's a common thing to say, well, if you don't vote, then like you should have no right to really complain. Of course, you have a right, but like if you don't vote, like what's wrong with you? You know, to to complain about something but not be involved in the process. Uh, and there's a lot of complaints about. The NRA and some some of the way or things that the NRA is doing or has done or the way it's being run, um, but sometimes those complaints are given by those that aren't even members, and it's like or they don't participate in the process of voting uh, for good people to get on the board of directors. I mean, you you get enough of the right type of people on the board of directors, you can affect some change. It's a big that's a big task, of course. I mean, you know, it's what seventy six person board? Uh, it's a massive board. It's like trying to get stuff done in Congress. <laughs> Try to get everybody on the same page. But uh so you're right. Yeah. Um what what are some of the things that you see that you would like to be able to affect change in as far as how the NRA is uh currently running. So there's I mean there's a couple things
2: and and none of these are secrets. They're they've all been things I've talked about over the last at this point, I guess three years. They're on my website. There's videos of them. I've had a lot of conversations with people about them. Um, there's, there's, you know, it's really a multifaceted thing. So everybody thinks NRA and they automatically think lobbying. Well, the reality is NRA does a lot more than just lobbying. And you know, um, I think that's what people are most upset about, or it's the only thing that they actually have any idea that NRA actually does. Um, there's, there's a few things. So one of the biggest parts of my platform has been education. And there's there's a reason for this. And the educational aspect goes to uh, personal experiences in my life. So I grew up in a house that where we didn't have guns. It was, in fact, an anti-gun household. I learned to shoot in Boy Scouts. I turned 18. I bought a shotgun, came home with it. I was told to get rid of it. I never did that uh, much to my parents' uh, anger. And it wasn't until I was about 20, 23 24 somewhere in there my dad out of the blue uh, he had been born in new york grew up in new jersey his only experience with was you know what he saw on tv the the in movies what he had been told so he never had a real experience with the firearm out of the blue he asked me to take him shooting said, yeah absolutely so took him to the range and that stupid grin i had on my face at 12 years old shooting a bolt action 22 was now on his face and all it took was that positive experience with a firearm to alter his perception as to what guns are and, and how they work. And, and that just general everything he had heard about might not be so true. So over the course of time since then, he's his opinion has almost shifted 180 degrees. You know, he got some handguns, got a carry permit. His opinion on AR-15s and 30 round magazines has changed um, it didn't all happen overnight, but it happened over over time. And my point with the education is twofold. One, uh, when you're talking about at least adults, you know, taking a friend, taking a neighbor, taking a coworker, and it's always been something that I've done when I worked with people that I wasn't in the gun industry um, where somebody didn't have any experience, I would always offer to take them, you know, on my dime and give them that positive experience. Because I learned very early on that if you do that, they're more likely to hold at least an opinion that's neutral versus a negative opinion. If not a favorable opinion, they become a gun owner themselves. The second part of that is also education of children. So there's, Kind of a couple of reasons for this. The biggest one, though, is everyone wants to talk about safety, safety, safety. All these things are for safety. Well, the reality is, is that if we're not teaching gun safety to children, you're not giving them the tools, the life skills, if you will. We teach kids about sex. We teach them about drugs. We teach them how to drive a car because as adults, we all understand that kids are going to have sex, find drugs and drive cars. It's, it's a no brainer, right? There are also yep. going to be instances where kids find guns why not give them the tools to make it out of that situation in a safe manner it's it seems like a no-brainer the second part of that then is if you demystify this thing to kids kids as they grow up potentially will now have a neutral or you know not a negative opinion about firearms and then over the course of time you also change the perception in the political realm as to like these kids learn that yeah well this thing isn't you know It's the person that makes this thing dangerous and you put the blame kind of where it actually lies with the person who's perpetrating the, the heinous act, not the inanimate object. So that's been a a big thing. Um, Like I said, you know, I learned to shoot in scouts. So for me, it was that early experience um, where I uh, learned, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, There's other issues within the organization as far as the structural uh, vendors, things like that, that aren't, I guess sexy to talk about, and a lot of people in the uh, you know who are angry at the NRA don't want to talk about or don't even know. Um, but there are things there that need to be addressed and fixed, and some vendors need to have their roles reduced or you know be completely axed off. Um, things like that, and then the political realm. Obviously, you know we would like to see an NRA that's more strong on issues, um, less of this wishy washy kind of stuff that you're starting to see um and and really be kind of aggressive uh as far as the litigation aspect of stuff you know they they do do a decent amount of that um you also have other organizations that do it too so nra obviously you have the the lobbying the ila you have the political victory fund those that donate to campaigns and there's there's even issues there with the way that they grade candidates um and then you have the friends of the nra uh and you know they're responsible for a lot of the, the youth involvement. Um, so this whole idea of just kind of burn the organization to the ground and something else will replace it. I don't know of any other organization that's doing all of those things. And I think that's, that's something people need to keep in mind is that even if you're upset at the organization and rightfully so for that matter. Um, there's a couple of things that you need to bear in mind is that one it does a lot of things that you don't necessarily know about um, that are out there that other organizations don't do if it weren't for the NRA so I, I sit on my uh, scout council's shooting sports committee if it weren't for the NRA those kids would have a very tough time shooting at summer camp they give five grand every year to buy rifles to buy ammunition targets all that stuff that's yeah. what put me in the seat today was shooting in boy scouts and um, so it's things like that that are are really important. That's yeah, I'm
1: I'm glad you actually I'm glad you actually brought that up because a lot of people forget about that. I mean, there's grants for ranges and a lot of these ranges across the country um are maintained with grants from the NRA and and different things and I mean, the NRA started as an educational organization, organization right? So yeah. like they've educated more people about gun rights than any other organization. So you know, at this time in political, you know, we need more aggressive, um, I think, leadership in the NRA. But like you said, there are there are things that, as you know, we look at, we focus on the, the legislative aspect, and we forget all the stuff that wouldn't be possible, just every, you know, go, going out and shooting these, these competitions and things like that, that um, would really affect us greatly. So, um, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause that's, a, that's a point that normally goes unnoticed. Yeah. Well,
2: I mean, you got to remember also all the, the training programs that NRA offers, and I'm not suggesting that those programs are, you know, it's not the same as taking the course by the dude who used to be a seal or a green beret, but it's basic, you know, it's basic firearms handling and safety and and skills that people who don't have a friend that knows what they're doing to show them or, isn't going to go take that you know high-speed class or you know whatever you want to call it. Uh, it it's good educational stuff that again no other group is really doing anything like that especially on, on the scale so those are all things that you got to kind of keep in the back of your mind and it's really easy to just you know go off in the comment section and ran and rave and and be all pissed off about stuff having said all that if you are upset with the organization I have a couple things that you can do uh, tell them and by tell them, I mean, tell the board of directors. So if you get a magazine, there is, I don't know what page it's on. If you flip through it, it's at the bottom. And I, I have information uh, on my Facebook page somewhere and uh, in the Ammo article that I wrote recently, um, you can email the board of directors. You have to specify what director it goes to, unfortunately. So they do a good job of kind of keeping this from just being dispensed to everybody. Um, but tell them, pick a, pick a board member, you know, pick a board member like Dwayne, somebody who's going to read it. Uh, Tim Knights, another one, uh, send them to Marion hammer just because, <laughs> um, but you know, that send send messages to them as to what you're upset with. I've told people that if you're letting your membership lapse, when it's done, tell them why, if you've joined another group, tell them why, if you're still going to maintain your membership, but you're going to send your money elsewhere in the interim, tell them why, Tell the people who are supposed to be running the organization what your issue with it is so that way they're hearing it from the members and they can go, oh, okay, now I know I'm going to get some flack about this. Well, Adam, you're telling me that none of these people read the comments on social media. No, I'm not telling you that, but a fair amount of them don't. Um, And so just put it in front of them. It takes you five minutes. It's not that much time on your part.
0: Yeah. Yeah. One, one thing, too, as far as getting involved and, uh, you know, in some way trying to affect some change to the NRA, I mean, there, there's a lot of committees that people could get involved with. Can you maybe speak to, to that a little bit as far as the different uh, NRA committees and what, you know, if someone's interested, like what they can do maybe to try to get involved there a little more?
2: Sure. So NRA, I forget off the top of my head how many standing committees there are. I think there's at least twenty five. I think it's closer to thirty some. Yeah, there's a bunch. Um they have committees on everything. I mean, you you think of it, there's a committee on it, uh youth shooting, women shooting, uh law. Uh, legislation, legislative initiatives, 22, you know, cowboy action, all, all kinds of stuff. Um, the, the best thing you could do is really um, contact a direct, director and express interest, I would think would probably be the easiest way. Yeah. Um, and they would be able to pass your name along as somebody that is interested in, in participating. Now, there's no guarantee that you'll be put on a committee. Uh, the committees are made up of people who just serve on committees and aren't board members as well as board members. So there's a mix of, of people in them. Yep. Uh, but that's certainly one way to, to do it.
0: Yeah. Well, and certainly some people I know get involved. Well, and this is kind of the story with Dwayne is, you know, got involved first uh, to uh, work with one of the committees. And then that, you know, went or later became an opportunity to to run for the board. Um, and, and for those that don't know, so, you know, Adam, you mentioned how you got on the ballot by petition. Uh, but generally a lot of uh, those on the ballot are nominated by individuals on the board, as well as like, I know that the uh, president can, can nominate people, uh, stuff like that. Right.
2: So there's two ways you end up on the ballot. One is by petition of the members, which they changed uh, two years ago, as, as far as the number of signatures needed, it's now half a percent of the total number of valid ballots cast in the election year prior this year worked up to like 650 some, and it used to be 250 signatures. So they, they just changed that. Second way is that you can be nominated by the nominating committee. The nominating committee is made up of members of the uh, executive council, as well as a couple of board members, the committee itself. Um, they put out, there's a couple ways. I mean, you can, there's a, there was this year an online mechanism where people could submit your name to be considered by the committee. Uh, you know, board members could submit your name to be considered by the committee. Really anybody can submit your name to be considered by the committee uh committee whittles it down to uh, i think there's 30 some names this year that they nominated and then there's you know however many petition people running um but that's that's the other way and generally with the committee they don't necessarily nominate somebody who hasn't served on a committee within the organization or isn't well known to the organization itself yeah like myself
0: <laughs> you know you've uh kind of established this uh I don't know, almost like campaign slogan. The enemy within. What does that mean?
2: <laughs> I I didn't establish that.
0: Uh okay, you so, you've you've embraced it though, haven't you? I,
1: I took it I took it and ran. Oh, well,
2: yeah, absolutely. I mean if you're gonna <laughs> hand me a silver platter, who might have to buy it? Um, yeah, so that whole thing um, that transpired last year during the, the election, there was an article written on com by Marion Hammer, a board member that is from Florida, where she warned the NRA membership of the uh, quote unquote enemy within and said that right now, you know, the enemy within is attempting to divide us and, and take over this organization This and the other thing. And really, she, it was a veiled way to say people like me. Uh, be it be it me you know running for the board or be it people who identify with things that i'm saying that are just part of the general membership um it was you know i found it highly insulting um on any number of levels including the fact that she pointed out really that there's no way except for the nominating committee to understand anybody's motives or desires or intentions for running for the board or to be placed on the ballot and that really Uh, irked me because not only did I find it personally insulting, I found it insulting to everybody who put their name behind me on on a petition because those people had to look at what I was saying and decide that, yes, this is somebody I want on the ballot and then put their name that. And I had to give them information. It wasn't, Hey, just sign this. It was, here's what I think. Here's what I would like to see the organization doing. Uh, You know, here's things I have done. And those people kind of, you know, rally behind that. So, it was a little demeaning, uh, of which I wrote a response piece where I really kind of let her have it on that because it was wholly inappropriate. And yeah, I embraced that term, the enemy within. Uh, for the annual meeting last year, I hand-wrote about 200 hello-my-name-is stickers and wrote the enemy within on them and handed them out to people. That caused a lot of uh, issues. Uh, <laughs> there's some very unhappy NRA Individuals seeing those, um, the idea behind it was really just to personify. It. Like, hey, you're calling this person the enemy. You're calling that yeah. person the enemy. But the reality is, we're all members of the organization. We want to see it succeed. We just may have different opinions as to what it should be doing or how it should be succeeding. Um, and I think you know, a healthy discussion, uh, constructive criticism, things like that, are are needed for organizations to survive. And the fact that. It's kind of poo pooed and, and you know shoved to a dark corner a lot of times is is not the appropriate answer. That's how things you know kind of die on the vine, if you will. Um, so that's the backstory behind that. And yeah, I, I took it and ran with it. I mean, you, she made a lot of people angry, and I saw you know <laughs> like I'm pretty sure people I'm pretty sure people somewhere pay an expert to come up with stuff like that. <laughs> I got a freebie. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's awesome, dude. Uh, probably about time we start wrapping this up. Um, uh, Matthew, any, any last thoughts from you, buddy?
1: Well, uh, first thought is, uh, typing these names of everybody in the podcast that is listening <laughs> is pretty difficult to do. Uh, I'm not a good multitasker apparently, but, um, <laughs> no, I, I think it's awesome uh, to have, you know, now we've had kind of like the third kind of, um, Uh, perspective on the NRA and what's going on because, um, you know, there is a lot of animus, there is a lot of like, you know, anger. And I think a lot of times it comes from members because just like you said, they want it to succeed. They're, they're part of it and they want it to succeed and they don't feel like anybody is in there doing anything that they, uh, on their behalf. And it's kind of like the government, you know, it's the same thing. Um, but, you know, and and that may or may not be true to some degree, right? But it's good to see a fresh person just at least saying, look, this is what I'm going to do when I go there. And this is what I want to affect uh, the change. And uh, I think it's good. I mean, any organization that becomes stagnant with its membership or or, or its leadership, um, it it, it ends up not doing what it's supposed to do. I think that's just the nature of, of organizations. So it's, you need to kind of Uh, Always reinvest in new blood, and I'm glad that you, you know, kind of took that mantle and and charging ahead for what the fourth time. So, right, third. But here's here's
2: the here's the reality: the NRA isn't going to change overnight, regardless of whether I'm elected or not. It's it is as people have put it, a big ship. It is going to take time. It is going to take require the members to be involved. It's not you know, it's not something that well you can rant rave in the comment section and then boom it'll all magically be better it'll just be more of the same without your involvement so that's that's point number one it's not going to happen overnight point number two there needs to be more people to step up and express an interest in being involved in the organization you know if i don't get elected this time that's fine it yeah, you know, it is what it is i think what i've done over the last couple of years and I don't know, maybe I'm I'm wrong on this, but I think I started a conversation that needed to be had. And if that's all I've accomplished, cool. Like I did something that was positive. Other people need to pick up the ball and kind of run with it though. I can't all be like, well, this guy is going to be the, the, the guy to change it because I'm not, I have no delusion that I'm going to be. And I don't want to be necessarily, but I want to be part of that process. And I think others need to get on board with that idea and start figuring out how they can become involved in it. That's point number two. Point number three, and the last point I'll make on this, is that a lot of people depend on membership organizations to do it for them. And that's a really dangerous thing to do. Everybody thinks, well, I've got my membership card to NRA, or I've got my membership card to GOA, or I've got my membership card to FPC. Pick your organization. doesn't matter what one. The reality of the situation is is that the membership organization, while it does have some influence, it gets its influence from its members being involved. The reason the NRA can throw its weight around is because it says it has five and a half million members. That five and a half million number is really scary when a lot of those members start calling their representatives, start calling their senators and telling them, listen, we are this organization and you're going to do what we want. If you just expect the organization to do all the work for you, then you're unfortunately you're part of the problem. And it doesn't matter whether, again, it's NRA, GOA, FPC, pick your organization. You need to be involved. The easiest thing I can tell you to do is pick up the phone, store your representative and your Senator's number in it. You can call on your way to and from work. It's not a big deal. It takes like five minutes. In fact, I've knocked out my state and federal reps all in five minutes to say you don't have time is just a really sad excuse. Hmm. That's all I got.
0: A comment from rich here, just wrapping it up says NRA needs new blood. And I, I read, I shared your comment, rich, because to what Adam has just said, uh, it's not not just about new blood like if this is your voice rich if that's really how you feel uh, if you if you're unhappy with the way the NRA is is being run right now whatever it is any any issue with that uh, then do as Adam just said call contact them let them know let your voice be heard and we let's just let this episode stand as a as a as a call to all of you out there listening is there something you want to see changed or done differently if you want your voice to be heard? Call, contact, email, uh, contact board of directors members. Uh, call the main line for NRA. Let let them hear you. Okay, uh, that's we are the blood. All right of the organization. I mean, to your point, Adam, uh, the membership organization is only as powerful as it is because it's made up of five and a half million of p- of individuals like like all of us. So let our voice be heard. Yeah, you know, I mean, so. Um, Good, good thoughts, Adam. And I really appreciate you coming on the show with us today. Uh, really, really appreciate your, the time that you've given us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and folks, uh, if you are a NRA Life member, at least, or above, um, if you are a annual dues-paying member for at least five years or more, you should have received a ballot. They got mailed out like two weeks ago-ish. Um, I got mine just after I got home from SHOT Show. And uh, so ballots are out there. If you didn't receive one and you think you're supposed to, well, you can call uh, NRA member services and request one and they will send one to you. And then of course, also if you are going to be attending the NRA annual meetings, uh, the show in uh, uh, Indianapolis here coming up pretty quick, about two months away. uh, There's also opportunity to to cast a vote for the, the uh, the final, it's the last position, right on the board.
2: Yeah. So I guess, yeah, (laughs) I guess I should have plugged that real quick. So I'll, 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 I'll run through that if you don't mind. So ballots arrive in the February issue of the magazine to which you're subscribed. Uh, if you get a physical magazine, it's in there. If you get a digital one, it comes in a white envelope, uh, a little bit later on. Those are just starting to arrive. Um, you have till April 7th to return those two NRA. They have to be back there by April 7th. It actually goes to a third party to get tallied. Uh, so if it's not there and it arrives late, it doesn't count. If you don't have one yet, I'd say give it about another week. Otherwise, call membership services and start harassing them. People who can vote are life members or annual members of the past five consecutive years. That's it. Um, the... There's thir- uh, 27 seats up for election. This go-round, there's uh, 25 every year for a three-year term because uh, Tom Selick, for instance, resigned. The remainder of his term is up, and I believe one of the members uh, passed away, so his yep. remaining part of his term is up for re-election Uh, the last one, the 76 seated is a 76 person board. There is a one year term voted on by the members at the annual meeting for that. You only need to be a member of the NRA for 50 days prior. Anybody can vote there. That's just any kind of member. So 50 days prior to that meeting, you're good to go. Um, there i don't I don't know where it'll be this year but it, it's not hard to find it takes you five minutes to go cast a ballot the only people that are on that ballot are going to be ones that were not elected in the mail ballot so for instance if i don't get elected via the mail ballot like the last two years i will be on that ballot um and that's kind of that
0: so folks if you like what you've heard today from adam kraut uh cast your vote for him in the ballot that's gone out and uh also if if need be in the uh at large, uh, voting there at the, uh, show in Indianapolis. Hope to see a lot of folks there in, in Indy. Uh, we're looking forward to it and we'll, we'll see you there. I imagine you'll be there, Adam.
2: Yeah, I'll be there one way or another.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, brother. Well, uh, we'll look forward to, to cross and pass again there. And, uh, again, thanks for being on the show with us today. Um, seriously, uh, good luck to you, sir.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you so much guys. I appreciate your time. You have a good rest of your day. And best of luck to all you people on Facebook waiting to win something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Cool.
0: All right. I'll see Uh, you guys later. uh, We'll see you, buddy. Thanks, Adam. So uh, let's uh, let's wrap it up here. So uh, a reminder that uh, today's episode made possible by Gun Belts, available for sale on concealedcarry.com. Go to concealedcarry.com forward slash belts, and you can see our whole lineup of belts there. And we probably have more that will come and be added to that list at some point as well. But uh, for right now, a decent little selection there. Go, go check them out and save 15% by using the coupon code BELT15, B-E-L-T-1-5. And uh, so with that, uh, we are going to wrap up the recorded portion of the show now by leaving you with a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care.